You're listening to How to Win with Mike Moore, the podcast that provides you with practical insights on how to win in every arena of life. Hello, I'm Mike Moore, and welcome to this Tuesday edition of the How to Win podcast. These podcasts are based off 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. It says, now thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus. It's Tuesday. Listen, I'm so glad to have us with you with us today. I trust that you had a great weekend, a great time at church this past Sunday. I am happy to spend this time with you. We are going to try to conclude our series entitled God Wants You to Be Rich. Now, this is our 10th lesson. Can you imagine that? 10 lessons. We've talked about what is the rich life. We've talked about, I've given you the Bible definition of what the word rich means, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. We've talked about people whom God has, uh, who God made rich in the scriptures. We talked about the assassins of the rich life. We talked about God's divine pattern. We talked about why God wants you to be rich. And in this last part, we're dealing with how God releases riches to his people. We're dealing with the how question. Specifically, we are talking about the doors to the rich life. Now, we're going to be moving today. We're going to be moving today, but I got my iPad here. You can give me any questions that you want to ask uh, covering the whole series or covering the lesson today. We're talking about the doors to the rich life. Psalm 78 verses 23 through 25, God said that he will open up the doors of heaven to bless his people. So when we talk about doors, we're talking about revelations. We're talking about principles, opportunities, responsibilities, experiences, and the favor of God. The first door we began to talk about in part one in our eighth lesson, and we said it was the door, it is the door of giving and receiving. This door is related to money. Now, we know it covers other things, but I'm specifically in this series involving money in this door. We have to sow money. We have to give money. We have to share money in order to walk in the rich life. Then in in part two, we began in lesson nine talking about the second door, the door of mind renewal. Mind renewal has to do with your thinking. Your thinking. Your thinking. Romans 12, 2 says that we're to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now, the law of giving and receiving has to do with sowing money. The law of mind renewal or the door of mind renewal has to do with us sowing the word of God. Now, I I shared this definition with you. I shared this definition, which good to have you with us, Pamela and Karen and Joel. Good to have you with us. I see Shannon. Hey, Shannon. Alexis, Cedric, Thelma, good to have you with us today. Listen, you're going to be blessed 
absolutely blessed. Now, the, the law of giving and receiving had to, had to do with money. The law of, uh, of the door of mind renewal has to do with our thinking. And we have to exchange our way of thinking for God's way of thinking. So this door has to do with planning or sowing the word of God. Now, I was moving so fast through this this door because I was closing out uh, the lesson. And I gave you some, uh, and I left, <coughs> I gave you some evidences or symptoms of, of how you can know when your mind is renewed. And I just went through that so fast. So I'm going to come back. I'm going to give you that, but I'm going to be running today. Okay. So now listen, how will I know that my mind is renewed? Number one, you'll know your mind is renewed. When you recognize God is your source and you look to him, you look to him for increase. Secondly, you will know your mind is renewed or being renewed when you're not ashamed or embarrassed by God's blessings and prosperity on your personal life. Not somebody else getting blessed. When God blesses you personally, you begin to walk in the rich life. You're not ashamed of it. You're not embarrassed because you know that prosperity, God takes pleasure, the Bible says in Psalm 35, 27, in the prosperity of a servant. And the scripture says in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, that it is God that gives you the 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 power to get well. So when your mind is renewed, you're not really concerned about what people think. You're not ashamed. You're not embarrassed. Number three, when you understand that prosperity has an integrity connection, we'll talk about that uh, more today. And then number four, you understand that prosperity has a persecution connection. Mark chapter 10, verse 29 through 30, God said uh, that he would give a hundredfold to those who forsake all and follow him for the gospel's sake. But he said that he would bless us, and he said, with persecution. Now, when your mind is renewed, you're not offended because someone says some negative, or you get attacked, or your character is attacked, or your doctrine is attacked. You don't get offended by that, and you're not distracted by that. When your mind is renewed, you know it comes with the territory. Numbers 5, when your mind is renewed, you realize you're God's servant, and you're not men. That's what Paul said in Galatians 1.10. You're God's servant. You're trying to please God. You're not trying to please men. And then number six, you know, you know your mind is being renewed when you no longer see giving as an obligation. You see giving as an opportunity. And then finally, you'll know that your mind is being renewed when you see yourself as a partner with God and a channel of blessings to uh, other people. Now, I know that was a lot. 
and I got a lot to share with you, but I got my iPad here. Remember, you can send your questions in. At the end of the lesson, I'll go to my iPad and I'll answer your questions. Let's move now to the third door. The first door had to do with money. Second door had to do with uh, my thinking. Well, the third door is the door of words. This door involves my speech. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about the importance of the words that we speak. In fact, in Proverbs 18, 21, it says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. But Proverbs has a lot uh, more to say about the words that we speak. In Proverbs 12, 14, it says a man will be satisfied with good by the fruit of his mouth. In Proverbs 13, 2, it says a man shall eat well by the fruit of his mouth. In Proverbs 13, 4, it says, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. If you're diligent to speak words that line up with a renewed mind, with what God says about riches, the Bible says that the diligent will be made rich. Matthew 12, verse 34, the latter part of the 34th verse and the 35th verse, Jesus said this, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the deposits of my heart, the word that I put in my heart, if I put the word in my heart in abundance, it'll flow out of my mouth. Then in verse 35, Matthew 12, 35, Jesus says, Jesus says, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bring forth good things. Now notice this text, Matthew 12, 35. It says a good man, that's you, that's me, that's us. It says that a good man out of the good deposit, the word that you plant in your heart in abundance, a good man, it doesn't say God now, it says a good man out of the deposit of your heart will bring forth good things. So when I put the word in abundance in my heart and I speak that word out of my mouth, then the words that I'm speaking are go-getters. In other words, my words will go get what I'm saying. I hope you're following me now. I am sowing in the door number one. I'm sowing financial seed. I want the rich life. I want financial resources. So I must sow financial resources. Then I must renew my mind, fill my heart with the word, because it's the word that produces faith. It's my faith that believes God for the harvest. And then I speak in line with what God says about the rich life. And I've given you enough scripture in these 10 lessons 
to know what God thinks about the rich life. You start saying what God says, and then your words become go-getters. So the door number one has to do with my money. Door number two has to do with my thinking. Door number three has to do with my speech. Now, let's look at door number four, door number five, and door number six. I believe they go together. The door number four is the door of decision-making. The door of decision-making. This door has to do with my will, the human will. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, God says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. Now, notice what he says. They're set in front of us in our destiny journey. You'll see life and you'll see blessings. You'll see good, you'll see evil. you see life and you see death. And God says, choose. That's the human will. That's our soul. We have to choose life so both we and our seed can live. The human will, the door of decision making. Now listen at this. We make our choices, then our choices make us say that. We make our choices, then our choices make us the door of decision-making. Now, this door, the door of decision-making, which has to do with my will, is connected to the fifth door. The fifth door is the door of obedience, the door of obedience. And this door has to do with the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. They are the mature children of God. Maturity in the kingdom is being led by the Spirit. Being led by the Spirit. Now watch this. Isaiah 48, verse 17. We're talking about the door of obedience to the Spirit. Isaiah 48, verse 17 says, I am the Lord, your God, who teaches you, me and you, to profit. God says, I'm the one that will teach you to profit. I'm the one that will teach you to advance. I'm the one that will teach you to go forward. I'm the one that will will teach you how to live the rich life. The door of obedience, which has to do with the Holy Spirit. This verse, Isaiah 48, 17, says, I'm the Lord, your God, who teach you to profit, who leads you by the way that you should go. Now, I said that this door is connected to the fourth door. This door of obedience to the Holy Spirit is connected to the door of decision-making, the fourth door. You see, it is the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. Now, remember, we're sowing money 
in the first door. We're thinking, renewing our mind, depositing the word in our heart, exchanging our thinking. We're speaking the word. Watch this. And then the Holy Spirit begins to work. He begins to lead us in the path of prosperity. He he need to lead he leads us and help us to know which job to take, which career to pursue. He leads us in our decision making. Oftentimes, there are many options that we have. Maybe we have a job over here, a job over here. Maybe we're in relationships. And, and, and God want to lead us into relationships because, listen, relationships have a lot to do with your prosperity. You know, you can marry the wrong person or get connected to the wrong person, and it can, it can slow you down. So it is in business. Other areas of decision-making We're making decisions concerning investment. We're making decisions concerning hiring. We're making all these decisions in our life, relocating. We're making decisions about where our kids go to school. We're making decisions about where we should live. We're making decisions about where we uh, go to church. So the Holy Spirit, this door of obedience to the Holy Spirit has to do with us yielding a willingness to yield to the Holy Spirit as he directs us. But even though he directs us, then we have to make the right decisions. We have to exercise our will and choose what the Holy Spirit is showing us. So the door Number four is the door of decision-making. It has to do with the will. It's connected to the door of obedience. That's the fifth door, which has to do with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to yield to the direction, the instructions of the Holy Spirit. And then door number six, I think is connected because it's the door of excellence. It has to do with my efforts, my efforts, my efforts. So think about it. If the Holy Spirit is leading me to take this job or he's leading me to engage in this partnership and I exercise my will to choose what the Holy Spirit is directing me to do, then now I have to apply the door of excellence. I have to be excellent at what I do. I have to be excellent at my job, excellent in my business, excellent in my relationships. Daniel chapter six, verse three says, then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and the princes because an excellent spirit was in Daniel. And the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now, if you studied this out in Daniel chapter six, Daniel had enemies. And some of those enemies were trying to observe areas of his life that they could actually accuse him of a weakness in. And they looked at his his work ethic. They looked at his every. They looked at everything he did in his leadership on his job, and they couldn't find any fault. Daniel was 
excellent at what he did. So we see now another door that, that of excellence, uh, the, which has to do with our efforts, what we're putting our hands to. And excellence is being the best that you can be at whatever God calls you to be. Is doing the best that you can do wherever you are, whether you're on this job or whether you're in this role or whether you're in this business, whatever it is, you want it to give it your best. Now, listen at this. Excellence is refusing to be average. You can't expect to walk in the rich life if you're doing average work. You're serving as an average leader. You're in your, at your job, your business, and you're just giving average service, offering average products. Now, listen at this. Excellence is refusing to be average and going beyond what is expected or required. Let's say you're in customer service. Let's say you deal with the public. Let's say you're a waiter or waitress. You don't want to just do what is required. You want to go beyond what is required. You want to go beyond what is excellent on your job, in your business. Don't just do what's required. We're talking about the rich life, how God releases uh, riches. He releases riches through the door of excellence. Our efforts needs to be beyond average. Listen, let me tell you something. Uh, when it comes to teaching, I don't want to be an average teacher. When it comes to ministering the word, I'm going to give it my best. I don't just pick up sermons and just, just say that sermon again. My wife, she was, she was uh, joking with me. She said, Mike, I wouldn't go through all that you go through and, and order to preach. She said, I'll pull one of them old sermons and I'll share those old sermons. Well, listen. When I prepare lessons, I'll go back and look at what I said in old sermons, but I never preach the, just pick out a sermon and just preach that sermon. No, I look at what I said, and then I'll go back through that series, that lesson, and I'll study it over again. i look up words again, and I'll, I'll seek the Spirit of God to know what do you want to say because the word is pregnant. My spiritual dad used to say the word is pregnant. It's constantly giving birth to new facets of revelation. So I never preached the same sermon. Pe people say, you know, I heard that before. No, you didn't because I never preached that before. You heard a portion of that. You heard something that I said in a previous lesson, but you didn't hear this one because I didn't just pick out that sermon and just say it. No, it's a new sermon. There are different points, different insights that God has taught me along the way. So I want to give people my best shot every lesson, every lesson. I want to pray I want to spend time with God. I want to study. I want to meditate and give my best shot. Now, God blesses our efforts. He blesses the works of our hands. 
If we are lazy, if we are just doing enough to get by, God has nothing to bless. We're talking about the door of excellence. And excellence involves constancy. It involves consistent. If if you are going to a store or a restaurant, you want consistency. You don't want to go to the restaurant and sometimes the food is good and sometimes the food is not good. Sometimes the service is good, sometimes the service. No, excellence involves constancy, doing the same thing, and it involves consistency. You want consistency. That's the door of excellence. Now, notice these last three doors. The door of of decision-making has to do with the will. The door of obedience has to do uh, with the Holy Spirit. And then the door of excellence has to do with my efforts. Let's look at the seventh and the eighth door. Now, I got my iPad. You say you're moving kind of fast today. I got my iPad because I want to finish this because I got some other things I want to teach you. Let's look at two more doors. We want to look at door number seven and door number eight. I consider these doors guardrails. You know, when you're driving on the highway, and especially if you're in hilly areas, usually they have guardrails. These guardrails, they won't keep you from running off the road, but they are boundaries. They are boundaries. They let you know when you're moving outside, they are designed to let you know you're headed the wrong direction, you're getting off track, these guardrails are designed to keep you in the middle of the road. Well, the not door number seven and door number eight are designed to keep us in the middle of the road. Door number seven is the door of love. Door number eight is the door of integrity. The door of love, the door of integrity. Now, let's talk about door number seven. Door number seven, the door of love, has to do with relationships, relationships. Galatians 5, 6 says that my faith will work by love. My faith will work by love. Years ago, the Holy Spirit said this to me. He said, there is nothing you can accomplish with your faith. And I believe he's saying that to you. There's absolutely nothing that you can't accomplish with your faith. But your faith, to keep your faith on the line, to keep your faith working, you have to walk and operate in love. Faith works by love. In other words, our vertical relationship with God And our horizontal relationship with men must match. I'll say that again. Our our vertical relationship with God, you know you want to please God, okay? You want to please God. But your your vertical relationship with God must match your horizontal relationship with men because God connects how you relate to him, to how you relate to people. 
the Bible says in 1 John 4.20, 4.20, if a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. <clears throat> Pardon me. You cannot consistently within with with sincerity love God and not love people. God loves people. So God sees how we're relating to people and connects that to how we relate to him. Somebody said, well, I don't care what those people think. I just don't care what people think. They can get out of my life. I don't care. No, 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 no. You got to care. You have to care about your relationships because God looks at our relationships. We're doing a series in our church, uh, Faith Chapel on forgiveness at both campuses. And it is vital. It is vital to your faith operating at a high level. A failure to walk in love and a failure to forgive will shut your faith down. You cannot operate at a high level of faith if you're struggling in your relationships. Your relationships matter. Now, that's a guardrail. The eighth door the other guardrail is the door of integrity. It has to do with honesty. Honesty. Now, when we talk about integrity, we're talking about honesty with God, honesty with men, and honesty with ourselves. So many people not realizing that God sees us and everything the scripture says in the book of Hebrews, it's naked and open to him. So it's critical that we be honest with God, not play games with him. God can handle you saying, I missed it, or God, I sinned, I wanted to do this. You don't go to God making excuses and God uh, justifying. No, no, honesty with God, integrity with God. But you're going to have to have, if you're going to walk in the rich life, integrity with men, honesty with men. And, and unfortunately, in 40-some years of pastoring, I've learned that Christians will lie. If it's what they think is to their advantage and honesty is to their disadvantage, I've discovered that Christians will lie. Saved Christians, filled with the Spirit Christians, tongue-talking Christians, some Christians will lie. You're not going to walk in the rich life if you don't have integrity with men, and you certainly is not going to walk in the rich life if you're not honest with yourself. You're not honest with yourself. If you have a problem, say, I have a problem. Don't walk around talking about in denial when you have a problem. The Bible says in Luke 8, <clears throat> pardon me, Luke 8, 15, it says, but that on the good ground of they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, bring forth fruit with patience. Notice it says the good ground hearer is the person who hears the word in a good 
honest heart. That's the first thing. It says keep it, be patient, but it says a good, honest heart. That tells me that the word will not work in a dishonest heart. So we see now this door of love, door seven, is connected to my relationships. And this door of integrity, door number eight, is related to honesty. Well, there are two more doors that we want to cover, and then I want to give you a good summary. The door of priority is the ninth door. It has to do with divine order. The door of priority has to do with divine order. Now, I I knew this to be true from Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Matthew 6, 33 says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things be at seek first implies priority. That there are other things you should seek, but you should seek God and his righteousness first. Okay, priority. I knew that. But there was another verse that I did not know. Practically, maybe I had read it, but I did not know how it impacted the rich life in my life and and affected in a negative way the rich life. It is First Peter three seven. First Peter three seven. I want every husband, if you're a husband, I want you to listen to this. First Peter three seven says, husbands likewise. Dwell with them, with your wife, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Now, listen, there was a time in my marriage, and I've been married for 44 years. I have a great marriage. My wife and I, she is my very best friend on planet Earth, and she'll tell you the same about me, okay? But early in our marriage, and I was in ministry, early in our marriage, we were struggling in our marriage. We were not on the same page. We were not in agreement. Now, we weren't cursing and, and doing that because we say, you know, we know how to do that. But there was a lack of agreement. I was dishonoring her and didn't know it. Yeah, yeah, Pastor Mike, yeah, yeah, man of faith and power. I was dishonoring her, but I didn't know it. I didn't know. I knew Matthew 6, 33, so I'm going to seek first the kingdom. Okay, now, whether Pete wants to or not, whether Pete wants this, and in fact, I didn't have a, a good opinion of my wife, her spirituality. I thought I was more spiritual than she was. And I, in fact, I thought she was a little heathen, you know what I mean? And I was this, this spiritual giant. When in reality, I wasn't spiritual at all. I was religious and I had a lot of pride in my life. But when you have pride in your life, you can't see that you have pride. Now watch this. Peter said that we're to dwell with our wives according to understanding. Watch this. We need to understand something. And then he says that we're to give honor to her. Well, I wasn't giving honor to her. I was judging her as being not spiritual. Now, watch this. He says, realize she's the weaker vessel. 
but also realize that you're heirs together of the grace of life. You're heirs together of the grace of life. You're co-heirs. And he says, you got to do this because if you don't, your prayers will be hindered. Now, I didn't know this. I thought I was serving God. I thought I was following God. You know, my priorities was all off. You know, and I wasn't honoring her. And guess what? I was struggling financially. My ministry was struggling. All that. I'm preaching the Bible, preaching sermons, but I'm not prospering because I'm not honoring her. And I'm convinced that there are many pastors and ministers and men and men of God who who love God, and you feel like you you're spiritual and all this but you're not honoring your wife. Now, let's look at this. Paul, Peter says that the wife is the weaker vessel. We got to see what that means. Does that mean weaker intellectually? No. Does that mean weaker physically? Yes, most women are physically weaker from a strength stand, a physical strength and muscle standpoint than the average wife. But that's not what he's talking about. I believe that he's talking about social weakness, and I put, I believe he's talking about the role that she serves is a weaker position. Now watch this. Women in Peter's day were not extinct. They were not considered, not to be considered to be equals. They were considered to be inferior. So I believe Peter is addressing the social weakness of women in that day. Women were disadvantaged in society. They were disadvantaged and they had less power and less rights. In other words, a woman in Peter's day was economically disadvantaged. She usually didn't work. And usually if she worked, she didn't make most of the money. She she may have made money, but not like the husband. The, the men had uh, were in a better position economically. They brought the resources in the house. They were in a better position legally. A woman in that day couldn't go to court and say, now these are my rights because they didn't have any rights. Politically, women didn't have any power. They weren't in a positions of power. So Paul, Peter is saying to the husband, Christian's husband, he's saying now, listen, understand her position in society. But listen at this, a leader is always in a stronger position than a subordinate. And if the husband biblically is the domestic head of the home, then he is in a stronger position as a leader than the wife who is in a subordinate position. So Peter is saying to husbands, don't lead her like the world lead. Don't lead your wife like the world lead. Don't dominate her. Don't disrespect her. Don't judge her in a negative way. Don't explore her, but honor her honor her. Well, listen, I wasn't dominating her. I wasn't uh, exploring her, but I sure was judging her. I didn't think she was on my level spiritually. And I and she would always tell me, why are you just judging me? You, you think you better than me. You think you know more. And, and you see, I knew more scripture. See, I, I knew more 
text. I knew, I knew the Bible, see, and she didn't have that knowledge. And so I felt like I was, I was uh, above her and I was treating her like that. I was literally treating her like that. And I thought I was spiritual, but I wasn't spiritual. I was prideful because the Bible says that pride puffs up, knowledge puffs up. See, I had this Bible knowledge, but it says love edify. If really I was spiritual, she would look up to me. She would, she would, she would think I was, she will, she will be willing to follow me, but I'm putting her down. I'm telling about what she not and she need to do this. She not to do that. Well, that wasn't spiritual and I was not honoring her, but I didn't know it. I didn't know it. I didn't know it. And when I began, my God began to open my eyes up, I began to repent. And that's why God driving down the highway, God told me I was the problem. I was trying to see God on her, straighten her out, change her. And God told me I was the problem because I was operating in pride. And when you're operating in pride, you always put people down. You judge them negatively. But when you are really spiritual, you operate in love and you lift them up. You make them feel good. You edify them. You bless them. And guess what? My prayers will hinder. And I'm convinced that there are many pastors, ministers, men of God who are operating in this area right here. Uh, and, and so I wasn't prioritizing her. I had actually put the church ahead of her. And God is not the author of confusion. That's what the Bible says. That's disorder. Finally, the door number uh, 10 is the door of growth. It has to do with progression. The door of growth, it has to do with progression. Genesis 26, 13, the Webster Bible says concerning Isaac, the man became great went forward, grew until he became very great. So this door of growth really requires a commitment to improve over the last level you were in. Always be moving forward. The, the law of growth involves time. It involves process. And over a period of time, you go from one point to another point. Now, I know I covered a lot, but I want to close. I want to conclude this lesson by summarizing these doors. We had the door of giving and receiving that was connected to money. We had the door of mind renewal connected to thinking. The door of words connected to speech. The door of decision-making connected to the human will. The door of the obedience connected to the Holy Spirit. The door of excellence connected to my efforts, the door of love connected to my relationships, the door of integrity connected to honesty, the door of priorities connected to divine order, and then finally the door of growth connected to progression. So what can we learn? I gave you 10 doors. We're talking about how God releases riches. Notice I didn't just talk about the law of giving and receiving. And sometimes that's what we talk about a lot, give and receive. And we promise all this wealth going to come to people if they just give, if they just give. Well, what I wanted you to get out of this, this part, the doors, I want you to see what riches in the kingdom look like. What, what is it? Okay, riches in the kingdom. Now, follow me. I'm about to close. Riches in the kingdom is all embracing 
Riches in the kingdom is all-inclusive. It's an all-inclusive approach. It is, a, it, is, it is not perfection. It's not you having every last one of these points down. No, no, it's not perfection, but it's comprehensive. It is holistic. It is a lifestyle. It is not a get-rich-quick scheme. When you think about my money, my thinking, my speech, my will yielding to the spirit, my efforts, my relationships, being honest, having order in my life, progressing, allowing a time to work out this process of growth in me. It's, it's holistic. It's comprehensive. It's not just you giving this money and then God going to change everything in your life. It is important that you give the money, but all these other things, it's comprehensive. It's inclusive. It's all embracing. And if you don't get anything else out of this, you have to understand this, what I've been teaching for 10 lessons is not a get rich quick scheme. And I pray that you have gotten something out of this series, and I trust that it has been a blessing to you. I want to thank you. I went over a little today, but I wanted to finish this up. I want you to go back, listen to all 10 sessions, and I believe that you will walk in the rich life. I didn't get any questions today, but I thank you so very much for your participation Look forward to seeing you next time in our new series. Mm-hmm.